peculiar tax benefits. The modest tax they pay swells the local coffers in a way the Jerseyman finds hard to forgive. Some of them are total abstainers, which I suppose is one way of becoming rich, but most of them are pretty drunk too. Whiskey is about the same price as cheap wine, and much nicer. They brought so much money with them that I sometimes fear the isle may one day sink beneath its weight. Their conversation is brilliant so long as you stick to the subject of the length of their drawing-rooms, or lounges, as they're called in the local argo. Hordes of bankers and other money-borrowers of every degree of venality have followed them here like greedy shite-hawks, and each prime site in St. Helier is snapped up by these shameless guzzlers as soon as it falls vacant. This is probably a bad thing. There are several minor categories, like nobility and gentry, Portuguese waiters, Indian trumpery-mongers, transient barmaids, and drunken novelists. But these, although uniformly nice, concern our story but little. The Fauna The property of the economy, and the only large mammal other than the Jersey lady, is the Jersey cow. She is doe-eyed and quite beautiful, and secretes wonderfully rich milk. She is usually tethered because pasture is precious, and fences are costly. In winter she's rugged with a plastic mackintosh, and in summer she sports a sunbonnet. Yes, truly. Uh, there are some pigs, but I believe no sheep, which is perhaps why a certain Highland regiment has never been stationed here. There is a great number of horses, and the suburban cavalry may be seen titupping along the lanes at any hour of the day. Wildlife is scarce, except for seabirds, the dominant species are the magpie and the sparrow. There's no shooting land and therefore no gamekeepers, so the ubiquitous magpie munches up all the nestlings. Only the sparrow, that bird of Venus, can outbreed magpies by diddling his mate all the year round. Sturdy little chap. In the late autumn, small rare birds may sometimes be seen on passage, resting in the fields of unborn daffodils. The Flora this is chiefly grass and gardening, the latter often of an excruciating garishness. There are some bracken and gorse on parcels of land waiting for planning permission, but all the rest is luxury crops. Early potatoes, daffodils, anemones, tomatoes, and the occasional shy cauliflower. Certain cabbages, with prodigally long stalks, are grown for tourists to photograph. The natives assure them with straight faces, that these are grown for walking sticks, but no one in his senses would believe that, would he? The buildings. These range from the gloomy to the absurd via the pretentious. St. Helier is a positive barrel of architectural fun. Even Sir John Betjeman would be unable to keep a straight face. In the countryside, the characteristic building is a large, grim farmhouse made of liver-coloured granite with huge outer walls and a shortage of windows. The rich incomers grab them avidly and modernize them hideously. The finished article is worth ten times the price of a comparable house in England. I don't know whether that's a good thing or not. The language. This is rather a difficult bit. Your actual Jerseyman of the artisan classes speaks something which sounds quite like English until you try to understand it. Then you realize that it's like an Australian trying to imitate a Liverpudlian. His is pronounced ease, 
and most sentences begin with the phrase, My cry, and end with the vocable, Eh? It's an unlovely tongue, and one can readily learn to dislike it. Laws and other official matter are written in a quaint old Norman French, reminiscent of doomsday book Latin. Members of the grand old Jersey families can still speak it, I'm told, but you won't get them to admit it. The true patois Jerseyais is something quite different and barbarous beyond belief. Guinness et Boan Porté. When I tell you that the word Jersey represents the Latin Caesarea, I think you will take my meaning. Finally, most tradespeople can produce enough schoolboy French of modern vintage to puzzle the transient workers with, especially since the latter are usually tired and drunk. The Police There is a small body of men based in St. Helier called the Paid Police. I'm sure they love that. They are much like English police, but fewer and not so angry. They have uniforms and equipment. They seem honest and amiable. They don't hit people, unlike some I could name. Much more important, outside St. Helier, are the honorary police, who are, of course, unpaid. They don't wear uniforms. You're supposed to know who they are. Each of the twelve parishes has a connetable. Under him are the centeniers, each of whom, in theory, protects and disciplines a hundred families and leads five vanteniers who guard twenty families each. These are all elective posts, but elections rarely afford any surprises, if you see what I mean, and in any case there's little competition for these honours. No one is legally under arrest in Jersey until a centenier has tapped him on the shoulder with his absurd tiny truncheon of office. You can imagine how the paid police like that rule. And it is said that a centenier who has mislaid his truncheon wrenches off the handle from the nearest lavatory chain. Luckily, centeniers do not often feel it necessary to arrest their friends, neighbours and cousins, unless the offence is grave and thus a great deal of public money is saved and a great many lavatories are left intact. It works quite well, really. The centenier takes his erring neighbour for a quiet chat and puts the fear of God in him, thus preventing a recurrence of the offence much more effectively than an expensive trial, a suspended sentence, and a year of reporting to some mud-brained probation officer with a diploma in social science from Nursley Polytechnic. One of the houses. It belongs to Sam Davenant and is called La Gouluterie from a water meadow which is part of the estate. This probably takes its name from Simon Lagoulou, who was connetable of saint Maglore parish in 1540. But zealous antiquaries suspect that Goulous, round-bellied pottery crocks for seething beans in, were once potted in this clay field. I suspect that Simon, or one of his forebears, was called Lagoulou because he was a bit of a bean crock himself. The dottier kind of amateur antiquary will, of course, assure you that the name has something to do with fertility rites, but then they always do, don't they? Much of the building dates from the 16th century, and there are traces of earlier work and hints of religious use. It is of a pleasant pink granite, of the sort no longer quarried, and it has been tactfully coaxed into a state of comfort and dignity. There are tourelles, rondelines, benetiers, and so forth. I'm sure you know what all those are. For my part, I forget. Most of the front is at the back, 
doors, terraces, and so on, but the front proper faces a sunny, agreeable courtyard on the other side of which lies the other house, which belongs to Sam's best friend. The other house. This belongs to George Brakespeare, who is Sam's best friend, and is called Les Cherches-Fuites. I don't know what that means. It has been extensively dandified in the 18th century, and its windows, because of the exigencies of the underlying granite, are all slightly out of kilter, which rescues it from the drab symmetry of most houses of that period. Like La Gouluteri, much of its front is at the back, gardens, pool, etc., and at the back, too, there is a curious and engaging porch with concave glazing of the kind associated in Jersey with cod houses, places built in the piping times of the cod industry, when dozens of daring Jersey skippers ventured to the Grand Banks and suddenly found themselves rich. At one side there is an ugly Victorian stable of yellow brick with a clock which doesn't go. Consider, then. These two agreeable houses, beaming affably at each other across the old stone cider press in the centre of the courtyard. Consider, too, how rare and fortunate it is that the owners should be such firm friends. The fact that the owners' wives loathe each other's essential tribes is of little importance, one supposes, and indeed it rarely comes to the surface, even when they're alone. Consider, too, the proprietors of these houses, starting with George Brakespeare, of Les Cherches Fuites. George believes in God, but only the C of E brand, as advertised on television by virtue of the Equal Time Agreement, although he has an open mind because he has seen some pretty queer things in India and places like that. His manners are too good.